0: You're listening to The Jewish Truth Bomb with Lenny Goldberg. Hello, this is Lenny Goldberg, and thanks for joining me today. This Pesach Shabbat, we read Pashat Shlach, and that's the story of the spies that Moses sends out to spy out the land. The Jewish people had been in the desert for about a year and a couple of months, and before conquering the land, Moses he sends out 12 spies, one from each tribe, which is understandable why you'd send out spies. Joshua did the same thing 40 years later because you have to go through natural means. You don't rely on miracles. So he sends out these spies to check out the land before conquering it. And the spies return with an evil report about the land of Israel. And they convince the children of Israel that we can't conquer the land. There's the Amorite and the Amaleki and there's giants. We can't conquer it. We're grasshoppers and they're giants. That's what they say. And this is hard to fathom because they saw the miracles in Egypt and in the desert. And the thing is, the whole purpose of the exodus was to eventually go to the land of Israel. I mean, that was the tachlis. That was the tachlit. That was the ultimate goal from the beginning. And now they're saying we can't go. And, you know, that's part of the problem. Moses didn't ask them if we can go and not go. He told them to check out the land where the strong points are, the weak points are, where they're vulnerable, where they can be attacked. And they come back and say... We can't conquer them. Nobody asked them for their opinion about that, but they were the heads of the tribes and they returned with this demoralizing report and it says that Moses and Aaron fell on their face. What does that mean, they fell on their face? That's what you do when you don't know what to do now because the spies, they've just sabotaged the whole point of the Exodus. What are you gonna do now? And the people are saying, let's go back to Egypt. And King David, he summarizes the sin of the spies in one of his Psalms. He says like this, And they rejected the holy land. They didn't believe in God's word. That's what he sums up the whole episode. They despised the good land. They didn't believe in God's word. That is, with all the arguments the spies had and all their practical and logical considerations, all the halachic justifications, what they basically were saying was, Israel. You know, we have pikoach nefesh, that to save a life, you're allowed to give up land. That's what some religious circles hold, that you can give up land because it's dangerous. So that's what the spies are saying. If pikuach nefesh could push off Judea and Samaria, then it could push off B'nei Brach. It could push off all of the land of Israel. That's what the spies were saying. As the Gedolei as the great rabbis of that generation, Shevet, the heads of each tribe, they were laying down the halacha, that because it's dangerous, you can't conquer the land of Israel at all. They're going all the way with it. Not just because Nefesh pushes off the Shamron or Ephrat or East Jerusalem. No, no. They take that logic all the way through. And yet, despite their halachic ruling, King David isn't buying it. He says it's simply about them. They despised the Holy Land. Despised it. Yimasu, from the word disgust, they rejected it. And in contrast to the ten spies who said the nations are too strong, we can't conquer it. In contrast to those ten spies who lacked faith, you have the heroic figures of Kalev and Yehoshua. And they have something else to say. And what they say, it's worth the whole Parsha, just this verse. Just to read this verse is worth everything. Kalev, for the moment anyway, Shuts everybody up, and he says, Let's go up and conquer it. We can do it. That's what he says. This is a verse of faith. He's saying, forget about all the practical considerations. Forget about what the majority is saying here, those ten spies. Forget about what the majority is telling you. Forget about the Canaanites that seem like giants. We can do it. And that, and that approach, that we can do it, we can conquer it. That was always the attitude of the brave Jews who fought for the state of Israel. If we're talking about the Jewish rebels who fought impossible odds against the British or the Aronsons from Zichron Yaakov who suffered so greatly. Their whole thing was, we can do it. We know that practically speaking, the odds are against us. But these people like the Aronsons of Neely and the Etzel and the Lehi, they had the Ruach, of Kalev ben Yifuna, they had a spirit. And that's what Hashem says about Kalev and Yoshua, that they had a different spirit. Whenever we come upon the episode of The Spies, I'm always reminded of the great book, Em HaBenim Smecha, which was written by a great Haredi Torah scholar, his name was Rabbi Yisachar Shlomo Teichetel, and he was a noted Rosh Hashiva in Hungary, and af and he was a staunch anti-Zionist. Like many Hasidic rabbis at the time, they were very much against this whole Zionist movement of coming to the land. They saw it as secular nationalism, and they didn't look at it favorably at all. But as Rabbi Teichetel started observing the desperate circumstances of European Jewry, he came to the conclusion that the exile And our existence in foreign lands, that's the source of all the troubles of our people. And so what he did was he embarked on a campaign from that point until the end of his life, urging his fellow Jews to flee the exile, to stop devoting all their energies to developing Torah institutions in Gentile countries and to dedicate themselves instead to what? To building the land of Israel in the spirit of the Torah. Now as circumstances got worse and worse, he was forced to hide from the government forces and along with other men, women and children, he hid in the attic above his study hall. And through the attic, he was able to see his beloved neighbors and friends being brutally forced onto transports for a destination they didn't even know at the time. And he wrote this book, Emma Benim and he wrote in this book in great detail, in scholarly fashion, how the Haredi world as a whole and many of their great rabbis are making a mistake in understanding the era we're living in, in the return to Zion, and they're not participating in it. And that's what's causing them to perish in this Holocaust. And he compares these rabbis who told their congregations and their communities not to go to Israel and to stay in Europe. He compares them to the spies. Because what did the spies do? They came back. They told the Jewish people, we can't go into the land of Israel. And that happened on the ninth of Av. And God punished that generation that they're all going to die out in the desert except for Yeshua and Kalev, they're all going to die out and they're going to wander for 40 years. And that's all because that they believed those 10 spies who spoke evil about the land. And so Rabbi Teichdel is saying, that's what's happening now. All those rabbis who were against the Zionist movement, who said not to make aliyah, they condemned their communities to death. And what he writes in this book, and he does this from memory because he didn't have his books with him. his expertise in all assets of Judaism in halacha in Midrash, in Navi, in Zohar. He's bringing sources left and right. And what he does through these sources mostly is to show how redemption has to come through human efforts. You can't wait for Mashiach. It never happens that way because he understood that the inner desire to return to Zion, it always existed. Amongst all Jews in the exile, they always wanted to return to Zion. We pray for it all the time. For two millennia, we've been praying for it, that our eyes should behold the coming to Zion. This is the basic foundation of Torah. But the problem was in the perception that they think the whole thing is going to happen at once. It's going to come complete. And their general perception was, we're going to wait for the Mashiach to save us. Kind of like what we say today. And so they had this miracle mindset where Mashiach has to save us. And their belief was that any action you take, either it's unnecessary or it's even prohibited to take action. And this sit back and wait approach, that dominated the Haredi camp. And when they saw that the return to the land and to Zion was coming about through secular and even anti-religious Jews, they vehemently opposed the entire process. That is, there was an expectation in the Haredi community that the geula, the redemption, it'll be like the parting of the Red Sea during the Exodus. That led the rabbis to believe that the redemption that comes through natural means, through wars, through international peace treaties, through the hard labor of work in the land, that's not redemption. It's got to be something miraculous. It's got to be something much more miraculous than these mundane things. But Rabbi Teichel does in his thorough study of the topic, he shows how the redemption is indeed a very natural, dynamic, developmental process, which requires our efforts to bring it about. It's not just going to happen by itself. Rabbi Teichel says that because of the sit and wait approach, which dominated the Haredi camp. That's why the building of the land had to be initiated by Jews who didn't expect that God would do everything for them. And I want to bring down something he writes about the spies in our Parsha, that they were the prototypes of the self-seeking leaders who sacrificed the interests of the people for their self-interest. And he compares them to the rabbis in Europe, and you can compare them also to the rabbis today, that for the same reason, they're discouraging Aliyah because there's a self-interest involved. And he says like this, was there anyone more fit for a mission than the spies that were sent by Moses? So he's saying here that these spies, they were Gdoleador. They were the great rabbis of that generation. That's why we give each one a name to show how important he is. When Joshua dispatched his two spies, the text didn't give their names, but here we get their names. Each one's got a suit and a tie. No one could be more fit for the mission than they. And he continues, but since their drive for authority, was firmly rooted within them. That is, they have the Kavod in them. These spies in the desert wanted to remain that way. They wanted to remain the leaders. As elaborated in the Zohar and in Shlach, they were afraid that should they come to Eretz Israel, they will lose their positions of authority. That is, they knew that in the desert, there's a certain kind of leadership that's necessary. It's a very spiritual leadership. You're living with miracles every single day. It's a very spiritual kind of existence. And they're leaders for that. But once you go into the land, it's a new ball game. There's no more man. There's no more miracles. There's wars. There's killing. There's agriculture. you got to sweat everything out. It's a different kind of reality. And so they knew that they'll lose their position of authority once the Jews came into the land. So he continues. So they turned against this lovely land and deceived others as well, thereby causing this exile, as elaborated by our sages. That is... The whole 40 years in the desert of roaming around, that was because of their evil report on the land. And now Rabbi Tachtel brings it up to date. And the current situation is similar, even among rabbis and Rebbis and their Hasidim. This one has a good rabbinic post. This one has a profitable business or a factory, or is appointed to a good and prestigious position, offering great satisfaction. And they are frightened that should they move to Eretz Yisrael, their status will be shaken. Now that's a big reason why rabbis in Chutzlaretz don't push for aliyah, because right now they got a good position. They're rabbis of a community, but if they come to the land of Israel, who's going to look at them? The land at the airport, and nobody's going to pay attention to them. You know, when I lived in Beitel for a while, there was a rabbi from England who made aliyah, and of course he couldn't serve as a rabbi anymore. I mean, in Beitel, every other person there is a Talmud Chacham who knows just as much Torah as he does, and he's an English speaker. Of course, he couldn't function as a rabbi anymore in Beit El or in Israel. And I remember what he did for Parnassah. He was selling books on Amazon. That's how he was trying to make a Parnassa. And he left his position as a rabbi of a synagogue in England because he knows it's a mitzvah to make aliyah to the land of Israel. And I told him, you know what? You're the tikkun for the Chetamir Aglim. You're the correction for the sin of the spies because they didn't want to make aliyah because it would hurt their position and their status. But you made aliyah and it hurt you but you did it anyway. I used to tell him that once in a while and we would have a laugh, but it's true. Anyway, the great rabbi Yisaka Teichtel was murdered in 1945 while he was being transported to a concentration camp, but his book survived. It was kept hidden with a Gentile family and rescued by his children after the war. So if you can get your hands on this book and it's been translated into English, em ha-benim it's a must read. And I want to explain what the title means. Em ha-benim the joyous mother of children. And he explained why he called this book by that name. Because the land of Israel, it's like the mother of the Jewish people. And all the foreign lands are like a stepmother and they're mean to the Jewish people. But Eretz Israel, it's a real mother who loves her. And Eretz Israel is like a mother who's waiting and yearning for her children to come back. And he tells a true heart-wrenching story about a mother in Slovakia whose daughter was kidnapped and the father went to try to save her, but the father also got arrested. And this happened during the holiday of Passover and he's sitting in jail through Pesach. And by miracle, this rabbi, Rabbi Unger, is able to free the father, free the daughter, and now they're coming back. And the mother now gets the word that they're going to be returning, it's gonna be okay. And she sits outside of her house and waits for them to return. It's Isra the day after Passover. And imagine the, and imagine the feeling inside when she sees her child after all that worry, after all that time and that painful exile. Imagine the feeling she has inside. You can't even describe it. Well, that's how the land of Israel feels when her children come back. That's how the land of Israel feels when her children, after a 2,000 year exile away from her, comes back to her. Emma ben imsmecha. She's a joyous mother of the child. As we mentioned earlier, one of the reasons that the spies wanted to discourage going up to the land and conquering the land and living in the land was because they saw Judaism and the Torah and the reason for living was to sit and learn and be a spiritual being. That's what it was like in the desert. The minute you enter into the land of Israel, it's a different reality. You got to deal with enemies. Every tribe has his portion. He has to work the land. He has to sweat. He has to deal with all those mundane activities that take away from his Torah learning. These spies, they were spiritual giants, but they were giants in the desert. It's an existence that transcends nature. Once we enter the land, it's a very natural existence. Very much derechateva. No clouds of glory, no man. There's going to be a lot of betul Torah, as they say. And our 2,000-year-old exile, where we were severed from our land, it created the same kind of situation where many Jews they look at Judaism as as just learning and sitting in the Beit Midrash, and everything else outside the Beit the Midrash, working, farming, fighting. That's not part of Torah. It's politics or it's profane, etc. And that perception is really also the sin of the spies. And I'm going to now play a little bit of Rabbi Kahana explaining why he established the yeshiva. What was special about his yeshiva? And the way he wanted to teach Torah, what made it different than other yeshivas? After all, after all, you got hundreds of yeshivas in Jerusalem. Why did Rabbi Kahana think it was necessary to establish another one? He already had a lot on his plate, but he understood that there was a problem in the Torah world. There was a severing of the national aspects of Torah with the spiritual aspects. So here's a couple of minutes of Rabbi Kahana explaining the distortion, the perversion that took place in the Gullahs, the distortion of Torah concepts, and the neglect of the national aspects of Torah. Here it is.
1: Because of the fact that we were exiled from our own country, what happened to Judaism is that it became perverted, changed. It became a religion, and it is not a religion. We are a holy nation, and I'm Kadosh. And the Jewish people is one that stands on two legs, nationalism, and religion. And together they combine a Jewish nation, a holy people. We've lost that concept. Today you have Jews that are nationalist Jews and don't observe the mitzvot. They're cripples on one foot. And then you have Jews that keep the mitzvot and are Zionist, they don't know what Israel is. They're cripples on the other foot. The reason why God made the Jews with with two feet is that They should understand that there was Judaism and the nation, and they combined to be a holy nation. When we consider who the Gedolim really were once upon a time when they lived in Eretz Israel, David, he would rise at midnight every night to sit and learn Torah. In the morning he would go and kill the Philistines. What Rosh Yeshiva today thinks of going out to kill the Philistines? And what general thinks of sitting and learning Torah? David is the symbol to us of the the Jewish idea. Another tragedy is that we have lost the concept that we do the mitzvah because of ul shamayim, because the Almighty commanded us to... We don't keep the mitzvah because we approve of it. I sit and I see the Torah. I like page 2 and I like page 3, but page 4 I don't like, so I tear it out. The concept of ul-machut, that we accept upon ourselves... The yoke of Torah. And many of the other concepts, and many are the ideas that we don't approve of. The Jew who was born in the West is influenced by Gentile culture, by Hellenism. And many of those concepts are at odds with Judaism. The concept of, of nikama vengeance. In the Western world, that's a terrible thing. In Judaism, it is sometimes a great thing. The concept of hating the enemy, of of course, one hates the enemy. Of course, one who doesn't know how to hate evil does not know how to love good. And so these are concepts that we teach here. And these are concepts which are not taught in the yeshivot. In the, the yeshivot, what you have are practitioners of Jewish rituals. The mitzvah is a tree. And so they learn trees. We teach the forest and where each tree belongs, where each mitzvah's places in the forest. That's why we place such emphasis upon Tanakh, the Bible. And what yeshiva do they learn today, Tanakh? Who learned the Bible? It's become a forgotten thing, and that's why we have forgotten the role models, the real role models. Who were the great Jews when they were normal? You can only be normal when you live in your own country. That's why the Shoftim, the judges, the kings, were all Tamidei Hamim, they were scholars, they went to war too they were normal we have forgotten that because we don't study bible
0: that was rabbi merkahana explaining how torah got perverted through the 2000 year exile and the importance of learning tanakh bible and what a great opportunity to plug my bible class lenny goldberg's bible classes you can tune into that And in our studies, we bring down the great commentators, the Malbim, the Radak, the Mitzudat, David, Rashi. And we also bring the magnificent commentary by Rabbi Merkahana, who wrote a commentary on the Bible. We bring that too. So try to tune into these classes. It's Lenny Goldberg's Bible classes. You can Google that. And maybe that can also be a tikkun for the sin of the spies. Because what's the Bible all about? It's about life in the land of Israel before exile. And if you have any questions or comments, you can email me at lennygoldberg40 at gmail.com. Lenny Goldberg. 40, the number 40, Lenny with two ends, Lenny Goldberg40 at gmail.com. See you next week.